humbled by the fact that God would use me in this way, and I'm not, and I don't see it. I don't see it coming until it's happening. But I've had three opportunities in the last two weeks where people not uh, in our church, not anything to do with, doesn't know I've been speaking about this, or whatever. Just point blank ask me, can, do you know how to find God's will? This, I mean, just straight ask me. And I wasn't expecting that to happen. Two of them were in Texas. Lynn and I went back to Texas this last week. Um, we, this was a homecoming for our alma mater there, and, and many of you know we're on the board there, so we, we, um, we, we were part of all of that, right? And, uh, and one was on an airplane last week, and then another one was on the campus this week where somebody just said, I need to know God's will. And it gave me the opportunity to really talk about some of this kind of stuff, and um, it's, just, it's just powerful. It's unique. I, I did want to mention also we had... Um, so the homecoming, all the stuff that's there. Uh, th- this year they did a special thing where they had a reunion of the baseball team. And I played the baseball team. I played on the team back in the 80s. And, um, and so we had this reunion of the baseball team, and there was, but we played the existing team, the present, all the 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds. We played them. And uh, this, this wasn't softball. I was thinking it was going to be softball. But when I got out there, they weren't throwing underhand. And, uh, but, but one of our pastors, he's a pastor in Texas, and I, I went to school the same time. There was only four of us in our age group. Everybody else was much younger, uh, in, their, in their 30s, and some had graduated just two or three years ago, that kind of thing. And uh, one, of the, one of these guys I'd known him since, I mean, literally, we went to school with him in the 80s, and he gets up there in the first bat, and they're throwing 90-something miles an hour. I haven't swung at a 90-mile fastball in years, 30 years. So um, he gets up there, and he turns around to bunt. I shouldn't be laughing. This is horrible. But <laughs> turns around to bunt. The ball hits him around the end of the thumb. He's got it around the bat. Hits him around the end of the thumb. Rips his thumbnail off, breaks his thumb. <laughs> <laughs> That is horrible that that would happen. And I'm sitting there going, Jesus, please don't let, please don't let me get hurt. <laughs> I didn't come out here to get hurt, Lord. Oh, it was horrible. Blood all over the place. But that's all I got. That's the story I was going to tell you. That was, that was beautiful. It was a little difficult for me to get up there, and they literally are throwing 90-something. And, and uh, somebody asked me early, well, are you sore because you ran? Well, see, here's the thing. To run, you have to hit the ball. That direction. I hit a lot of them these directions behind me, but I didn't hit with that one, so I didn't have to run here. I just kind of walked back to the dugout, so I'm not that sore. So I'm looking at God's will. We've been looking at this over the last couple of weeks and really trying to see. And so I, I haven't had these questions from anybody here, but, but this is the question that I get, and this is the question that I've gotten twice in, this, in, in the three conversations I've had this last couple of weeks, um, is... I need something very practical. I need something very, you know, pragmatic. Uh, how do I know God's will? Let me give an example. So you say, well, do I do this? Whatever, it doesn't matter what this is. Do I, do I take this job? Yes or no? Well, I need something very practical. I need you to tell me is what they're saying. They're not saying it that way, but I need you to tell me if I'm supposed to take this job. God speak to, that's, this is their thinking, God speak to him to tell me. And this is something I want to pick on just a little bit because this is something that's become very, um, it's becoming common and, and popular in the charismatic Christian world is, do you have a word for me? Guys, I think we have to be careful with that thinking. Look in the Bible. Anytime somebody else 
had a word for you? Most of the time, almost every time, it's not good. It's judgment. It's punishment. Why? Because the reason that God had to speak to somebody else to tell you is because you're not listening He can't speak to you. God wants to speak to you. God has words for you all day long, every day He's trying to talk to you. He's constantly trying to talk to you. If He's got to get somebody else's attention to come tell you, it's because you're not listening. Learn to listen. Learn to, to let Him tell you. He wants to lead you. He wants to show you His will. He wants to guide you. He wants to do these things. But, but this, this do you have a word for me kind of thing, that's, that to me, that's about as borderline uh, voodoo as you can get. I need a, I need a uh, fortune teller to tell me something. I need somebody else to tell me something. Why can't the Holy Spirit speak to me? Well, here's the reality. He can. And he wants to. And he wants to all the time. He's constantly trying to tell you stuff. Constantly leading and guiding. That's called his will. It's called his plan. So there's the big picture stuff. There's a very specific, I believe God has very specific plans, very specific will for every single one of us. I've gone over this over the last couple of weeks. He has a specific plan for you. There's no way that he can't. He's going to create you, create every tiny little cell in your body. He's going to count the hairs on your head. He's going to do all this kind of stuff, but then not have a plan for you. He's just going to leave that one up to you. He does everything else, but he's just going to leave that up to you. It doesn't make sense. He has a plan. The part he leaves up to us is to, to get there, to find it. Now, um, we're going we're to kind of drill down even a little bit more this week about how do we arrive there. Um, again, a couple of basic things. Remember, as I said, he does have a plan specifically for you. And, and it's very detailed. It's very intricate. It's very wonderfully woven throughout um, peoples and circumstances and places and all kinds of stuff. God's, God's pretty big and pretty amazing. I think part of the reason that we kind of make his will for us kind of general, in other words, I don't know if he really has a specific job for me. I just think he has, he just wants me to work and I can pick whatever job. You can live like that if you want to, but I think that's really, I think that's lazy first. And I think the, the part of the reason that we come to those conclusions is we're scared to death that he might actually have something very specific. And if he does, it's not just a location, it's who we're supposed to be in that specific will. That's why it becomes challenging for us, I, I believe, is because there is a, a fear, a conviction, an insecurity that says God would plan every single thing out. Well, then there's a lot on me that says I need to be that person in the middle of that. But don't be worried about that because he can help you there too. He's going to help you with every single bit of it. But I, but I do believe a very specific will. Now, now, now uh, be careful when you start thinking along these lines, because this is what will hurt you. I've talked about this the last couple of weeks is when you get to the point where you say, um, <clears throat> well, I deserve. This is, what I, this is what I deserve. Or, you know, I paid my dues. It's my time. Um, be careful with that kind of thinking because it'll hurt you. I, I'm not saying that God doesn't think like that for you. I believe that he does. In fact, I believe that God thinks like that for us m way more than we'll ever know. As, as our Heavenly Father, you you, you got to know that he, he's got the... I mean, he tells us his... As his kids, his plans are pretty big for us. But be careful when your plans are pretty big for you. Because that's where it's going to hurt you along the way. God wants to do some really cool stuff, but let it be him that does it rather than you do it. Rather than you think you deserve, let him think you deserve. Because that's a really cool place to be. But when you think you deserve, it's based in you. It's based in your flesh and it's going to hurt you. So, so as, you're, as you're seeking him and doing all this kind of stuff, God has a plan 
Be careful that it doesn't originate from you. Let it originate from God, okay? So, so here is the practical pragmatic. I'm going to read Romans 12 again, okay? This is the practical application. I know it seems disconnected a little bit because when we think, okay, God, I need it to be a lot more practical and I need it to be a lot more detailed, what we're expecting is that the Lord is going to say, uh, when we say, um, uh, God, do I take this job? That he's going to say, uh, with a big, loud voice, yes. No. That's what, that's what we want him to do, right? I, th- I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I've done that before with God. Uh, you know, not putting a fleece out like Gideon because that's immature. But I'll do things like, um, God, help this light turn green before I get there. That's a sign that, um, that you, and you've been watching it for five minutes. You know it's been red for five minutes. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else try to play God like that? It turns great. Whoa, Lord, I felt your presence in that green light. I need you. Okay, so, so we do things like that, right? We, we do things in our head, and we put fleeces out and all that kind of stuff, which I don't think are totally bad, by the way. I, I think sometimes they can be a little immature, um, which is what Gideon was being when he did that. But God still did it for him because God knows where we are and what we need right then, Right? But the big picture of this is actually the very detailed practical, and that's where we disconnect. Let's look at this again, Romans 12, 1 and 2. So, dear, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God for all he has done for you. I want, I want to unpack this, give your bodies a little bit, because I haven't really done that over the last couple of weeks, but really to think about what does it mean to give the physicalness to God. This isn't just our physical body limited to, although it is our physical body that he's talking about, but he's talking about the physicality of our existence. This includes a lot more than just the flesh of, that we can touch and feel. This is everything that we are connected with in a physical sense, all the things that are physical, which, which affects every single area of our life. Give the physicalness of who we are. Give our eyes and our ears. Will you understand when you say, I'm going to give my eyes to the Lord, he's not talking about two round little um, glass uh, spheres inside of our head, right? When we say we give our eyes to the Lord, we're talking about what we're looking at, what we're seeing, We give our eyes to the Lord because of what is going into our brain through those lenses, not just that round thing in our head. We say, give our ears to you, Lord. We're not saying this this cartilage that hangs on the side of our head, but we're saying, I give to you what goes through that ear into my head, into my soul, into my spirit, because it becomes part of me. We understand that when we're saying, I give my, my body it's not just a moral or a non-moral thing, which, which given our body includes the morality of who we are because of what we can accomplish or not accomplish or do with our body. But, but it's also the, the spiritual. The spiritual is directly connected with this physical sense. I, I give my mouth. doesn't mean I, I give a, 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 this tongue to God. Like God is saying, I really need a collection of teeth and gums and tongue. We understand when we say I give my mouth to you, that it's what I'm saying, because what I say comes from my heart, according to Scripture. Now, he says, give your physical bodies, because, it's, 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 um, because of what he has done for you. The reason you give your body to him is because he gave his body for us, and because he gave his physical body, which we understand was not just physical. There's a lot more to it. When Jesus gives his physical body, it transcended spiritual freedom that, that goes forever for everybody. 
So when he's giving his body, what he has done for us, we're supposed to give our body, which is not limited to the physicalness either. And then he says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is something I think is important to, to, to pause here just a little bit. We, we play semantical games sometimes in Christianity, and I've had this conversation hundreds of times over the years with people. I'll say things like, do you think that God is pleased with you right now? I'll say that in messages or... Or, or whatever. I, I even said that to people right to their face. But um, do you think God is pleased with you right now? And, and you know what? It, interesting, you know what people will answer a lot of times with that? Well, God loves me completely and totally, and he's never going to stop loving me. That has absolutely nothing to do with what I just said. Does God love you completely? Yes. He's never going to stop loving you. In fact, I'll throw something just to mess with your head here just a little bit. When we stand at the judgment and we step into eternity, God says that he's going to wipe every tear from my eye. And I've talked about that before. There, there's this reality of heaven and hell and, and eternity in one of those two places. And, and, and in fact, I just had somebody email me this last week and say, um, uh, why is hell such a horrible place? Well, Scripture tells us why it's a horrible place, because God did not create it for human beings. Scripture specifically says that hell was created for for Satan, for Lucifer and his demons, his his angels, um, because that's a punishment for them. God is, is punishing them in hell. Humans are not supposed to go there, but if you sign up on Satan's team, then you end up on his sidelines for eternity. That, that's the concept of that. It's not that God wants people to be in hell. He doesn't. It's the exact opposite. He wouldn't have sent Jesus to die if he wanted people to go to hell. doesn't make sense. It's the opposite. He wants people to spend, human beings, to spend eternity with him. But, but there are going to be people that are just not going to choose that and, and choose to spend eternity with Satan. That's the concept there. Now, with that being said... Is God still going to love us? Yes. In fact, it says that he wipes away our tears. When we step into eternity with him, he wipes away our tears. And I believe that he's saying something that's a little bit bigger than what we see. And I believe he's wiping away our, the connected emotional connection and memory connection of the people that are not with Jesus for eternity. Which is good. I'm saying, I'm saying this very selfishly. Which is good because I can't imagine thinking about people when I'm, when I'm spending eternity with Jesus, thinking about people that didn't make it. I can't. That, that's, too, that's too big for me. But here's the reality of this. I don't think God stops loving them. God's going to keep loving them. Now think about from God's perspective what that feels like, what that is like. For eternity, they, they chose something besides him, and he knows that it was all a big lie. It was a big, it was a big manipulation and a fake and that Satan won some there. Think how that God feels about that for eternity. So when people say, well, yeah, but God, God will love me and he just keeps loving me. Yeah, don't, don't play that game with God because the question was, can you do something that's not pleasing to him? Can, he, can, you, can you do something that's not acceptable to him? Can he not be pleased? And the answer is yes. He loves us immensely, but there is plenty of Scripture that backs up. He can be very angry with us in the process. So then he says here, you want to you do something that I find acceptable? Let your, your physical existence be a living and holy sacrifice. That I find acceptable. 
That, that's, that's huge. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, changing your thought process. We, <clears throat> down in, in Texas, when we were at this um, homecoming reunion, we had a um, big fundraiser banquet. That's one of the things you do there. And, and uh, we had a guy come in. His name's J.C. Watts, and he was, the, um, he was the quarterback for OU, like in 79, 80, 81, somewhere around there, won two orange bowl championships. Amazing Christian man. He's a minister. He's a um, congressman. All these things. And he was speaking. He said something that I thought was pretty good. He said, we've got to get away from this, this, uh, this idea in America, this groupthink mentality that's come up in America. He said, it's becoming stronger and stronger. He said, he's, he's a black man. He said, as a black man, I'm supposed to have a certain mindset. I'm supposed to go along with cultural groupthink. I'm supposed to think like a black man is supposed to think. He said, but that's a, that's a uh, cultural mindset that is actually in, in a uh, uh, bad place right now. And he said, I, I'm, not, I'm not into groupthink. He said, I don't think a certain way because I'm black. And he said, you shouldn't think a certain way because of some ethnicity that you are. You should think a certain way because this is how God has changed your way of thinking into that you're not supposed to be, be part of the behaviors and the customs of the world, but you're supposed to think according to what? According to God and His Word. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what, what uh, social economic status you're in or anything else. You're supposed to think this way because Jesus said think this way. And we're all supposed to make that decision. And he even said, and I think this is important, he said you're not supposed to think Republican or Democrat. He said you're not even supposed to think church. You're supposed to think Jesus. And if somebody beside you is also thinking Jesus and following Jesus, then you'll be going the same direction. But you're not having a Christian group think because they are. You're following Jesus and you happen to be following the same person. So you're going the direction together. I think it's negative. I think it's harmful to have a church group think. Now, it's not always detrimental. Sometimes it can be very good moral thinking, but if it's groupthink, it's going to hurt you long term. Because you are supposed to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling before God. Right? You're following me? So don't follow me. That's what I'm trying to say. Are you following me? So <clears throat> changing the way you think. I, I was thinking about this yesterday because so my when we were down in Texas, my kids surprised us and um, they brought my granddaughter up because I haven't seen her since May. And so I got to hang out with my granddaughter the last couple of days too. And so we went to this coffee shop that has a big outdoor area and all this other kind of stuff. And we were sitting there and, and everybody else, parents and grandmother and everyone else were, were sitting there talking and they weren't paying attention to my granddaughter. They'd be very irresponsible. And they weren't paying attention to my granddaughter. And I came out with the coffees and I turned and looked and my granddaughter's standing there. They all kind of got their backs to her. And she's standing there. And she stands up and she smiles at me. And she had been eating mud. And uh, her teeth were full of mud. Her lips is all over her face, her hands. And she stand up and just smiled at me. And after I just melted, um, I thought to myself, that's a good picture of a Christian sometimes. You know, we just eat mud. We, we, just, we just get right in the middle of all the goofy stuff sometimes. And it's not that, I, I really don't believe that the, the, 
that most Christians are saying, I hate Jesus. I don't think that's what we're doing. But it's amazing how good mud can taste to us sometimes. I look at her, and, I, and you would think she'd be going, ah, I don't like this. But she was, she just, mm, this is the best mud I've ever had in my life. I mean, it was all over her tongue. So, so don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. Then, when you do this, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And part of the reason that I'm focusing on this today is because I think we can, we, we can overstress and um, overanalyze God's will and try to figure out the details. And I really do believe this is the most simplistic, practical way to approach knowing God's will. Stop focusing so much on the detail of it and start focusing on the, the, the pattern that God has designed for us to get into. In other words, am I supposed to take this job? Yes or no? Yes or no? God, am I supposed to take we can, we can drive ourselves crazy praying about the God, am I supposed to take And what he says is learn to become a living sacrifice. Get your mind where he wants it to be. Let him change your thinking. Surrender and sacrifice yourself to him. Get up on his altar. Get close to him. Let his Holy Spirit cover you, guide you, lead you, all of that. And guess what? You will. You will. A very active word there, the way he says this. You will learn God's will. You will. You'll learn to know <coughs> all the things that he's trying to tell you. You will learn whether you're supposed to take that job or not because you are what? You're pulling away from that decision, which is a very limited temporal kind of thinking, and you're, and you're putting yourself in the eternal transcendent kind of thinking, which is, God, you're the creator of everything. You're the director of everything. You're the authority over everything. If I surrender myself to you, then I will learn what you're wanting me to do. <clears throat> and I think it can be very quickly. In other words, you're saying, God, am I supposed to take this job? Yes or no? God, you can agonize over that. Uh, what is the uh, statement? Paralysis by analysis kind of thing? You can, over, you can overdo that, overdo that. And when you step back and you begin to say, God, I, wanna, I want you to be God of my life. I want you to be in charge. I, I pray in the Spirit. That's a big one because the Holy Spirit will pray through you in ways that you don't understand. When I say pray in the Spirit, I mean pray in tongues in case there's some confusion there. Pray in the Spirit, these kind of things. And all of a sudden, you will know this. What you've been focusing on, seeking, that you can't necessarily get a, a handle on and understand when you back away from that and you just get in the presence of God, it's amazing how quickly you will know the answer to this. Although you're not actively saying, God, what is the answer to this? You're saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know your spirit. I want to be in your spirit. I want to be covered with you. Let your blood cover my mind, my heart. Pray in the spirit. Get into who he is. Get into his word. Let all of that roll through your spirit. And then you will know. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. There's a bunch of things that jump out at me when I, when I see that sentence. We are going to pray that God will give you complete knowledge of his will. In other words, you can know varying degrees of God's will. You can know some, a little bit here and there. You can know more. You can know completeness. You see what I'm saying? So this is, this is the immediate question that pops in my mind is, what are the areas of my life right now where I know some because I'm not okay with some. I'm not, that, that makes me uncomfortable, the idea of some. 
And that's a potential. And Paul is specifically telling these people, we're going to pray that you know God's complete will. The fullness, the complete knowledge of his will. So immediately that makes me say, okay, Lord, are there areas of my life right now where I'm kind of getting there? Because I don't want to kind of get there. I want to be in your will. I want to do what you're saying. I want to be listening. So how do I do that? You go back to, to Romans uh, chapter 12. I, I pull myself away from the detail mentality, and I say, God, well, I, I need to be in you. I need to be in you. I need to be close to you. And then I will learn the complete will of God in the process. <clears throat> and this is the purpose and the focus. And this is, this is where we get off a little bit. Okay? Um, he says... We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. You realize he doesn't say, then you will be doing what God has said. You'll be having the right job. You'll be living in the right place. He says, then you will honor God. The doing, the most important part of the doing for God is that you honor him. This, this is something that is, that is huge from everything you can do, starting with like the, the huge decisions, like who are you supposed to marry and stuff like that. The focus for God is that you will honor him in that. It's not that you will be fulfilled and satisfied and happy and all that kind of stuff. Those things are natural processes that will happen when you're in God's will most of the time. Okay? Sometimes when you're in God's will, it can actually be difficult because he's carrying you down a difficult road on purpose. All right? But you will be happy. You'll be pleased. You'll, you'll enjoy your life. You'll have joy. You'll have all these other kind of things. But what we'll, if we're not careful, what we do is we think that's the purpose. And the purpose is that you glorify Him. Okay? Why does God give you that specific job? To glorify Him. And here's another big one that we seem to miss sometimes. And to make that company money. You say, what? That's not why, that's not why you work. Really? You don't work? For money? You, you, you don't have to raise your hands with this, but if I was going to ask this question, this is the way I would ask it. How many of you, if you were independently wealthy, would quit your job tomorrow? Almost everybody would be like, I wouldn't even be a parent anymore. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would just leave everybody. <laughs> go, to the, go to the Bahamas. Leave you all sitting here. But, but here's, here's the reality. The, the money's so much a part of all of this. God wants you to glorify him. And so when you go to a workplace, a company or something else, when you make them money, you are glorifying God, and they recognize that there is something different about you, like Joseph did. The reason that Pharaoh really liked Joseph is because he was blessed every time he touched something. I, I've been working on a message, and I'm not sure exactly where to go with it, so I'm not finished with it yet. But looking at, at, at um, Laban and the goats and all the stuff that Jacob did with Laban and how every time God gave Jacob an anointing of goat mating. I mean, it was... It would, put that sentence in an order that doesn't sound strange to all of us. So you understand what I'm saying? God did something really supernatural. And God, rec God does this so that people will be recognized as being blessed in their context because they're... Their company's prospering. That's glorifying God. That's why God put you there, to glorify Him. To glorify Him. Not just so you have an occupation and you're happy. That's a nice 
side thing. If that was the case, Joseph would never have went to prison. Right? Okay, that's a totally different message. So, so I'm going to break this down in a few different ways here. <clears throat> um, three, three things that I want us to focus on is Matthew chapter 9. The first one is that God's will can be found in a relationship with him. Okay, now we know this. We know this. I've been saying this the last couple of weeks. But if we're not careful, that seems to become the, um, the, the fruit of the, the, uh, the side of the labor instead of the fruit of the labor, okay? In other words, yes, God's relationship is important in knowing his will, but at the end of the day, I need a yes or no on this question. Now, I've already said this. This, this, is so, this is the part of God's will that becomes so elusive to us because we do this in our brains. We say the real fruit of this, the focus, the importance, which is the relationship with God in finding His will, is just the side results, but I need to know the answer. You will never know the answer until you get the order right, and that is Get the relationship with God as the priority more than the answer or the job or the situation or the circumstance. Get the relationship as the priority. Bury yourself in Christ. Just, just pursue Him and you will learn God's will. God's will is, is based, is found in the relationship with Him. It's not found in the question of His will. A, a sentence that I, I, I wrote down here. Let me find it here. This, this seemed profound to me when I wrote it down. We must pursue the God of the will rather than just the will. And we spend so much time pursuing the will of the Lord that we forget the Lord of the will. Pursue the Lord and the will happens. <clears throat> it, it will happen. Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> this is, this shows, to me, this shows it to us very simply. One of the men in the crowd spoke up. Now, this is after Jesus had sent the 12 out and, and the, the um, 70 out, and they had anoint, been anointed and, and were praying for people, and demons were cast out, and people were healed, and all these kind of things were happening. Big supernatural stuff. And then one of the men, men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. Whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth, and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, he didn't say it to the people. I've heard people talk about this. If you, they get this wrong. It, when he says Jesus said to them, he's not talking to the guy that brought his son. He's talking to the disciples. Because they said, we brought, I brought my son to the disciples and they couldn't heal him. So, so Jesus turns to his disciples and says to them, the, the object of the subject, Jesus said to them, you faithless people. This, these guys had already cast out demons and already seen people healed. You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? This is not happy language. This, when you say that to your child, you're not saying something, how much, how long do I have to put up with this? You're not saying, hey, job well done. He is upset at these disciples. And, and the, part of his answer down below lets me make this positive. It doesn't exactly say this, but I believe that this is inferred very strongly. 
that the reason that he's upset with his disciples is because they had taken for granted what God was doing through them and they had stopped pursuing God in the process and stopped being humbled by the moment and the process and they began to be perfunctory in their spirituality or what, what we would call their, their spiritual authority. They became very perfunctory. This, this is what I think is going on here and I think I can prove this with the last sentence of this. But Jesus gets very upset at them and he calls them faithless people. Then he said, bring the boy to me. Do you hear the exasperation? Oh, just bring him to me. I'll take care of this. And I think as the boy's coming up, Jesus is mumbling under his breath, if you're going to have to do it right, you're going to have to do it yourself. I mean, don't you feel that's what he's saying here? Okay, so let's jump down to verse 26. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said he's dead. How many times are these people going to say, I bet he's dead, and get fooled by this until they just stop saying that? Just wait till Jesus is done, okay? Wait till he's finished. So they said, well, we think he's dead. Um, but Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And this is why I posited that I believe that they had just become lazy and perfunctory in their focus of this. It had no longer become about God doing something. It was just about them going through the motions and the formula and all the stuff. And I know this as a fact because that's an easy thing for a pastor to get caught up in. It's just... Going through the motions. This is what pastors do. This is how they talk. This is how they act. They preach sermons. They do this kind of stuff. Instead of really getting before God and saying, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? What are you trying to do with us? How can, how can we put you at the, the front of this instead of um, the church or, or me or a message or something else? How can we put you at the forefront? And this is what they had lost, and this is why I believe that. Because he, they said, why can't we cast out the evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this can only be cast out by prayer. Now, New Living Translation says prayer. This is one of the places the New Living Translation made a mistake, got it wrong. Okay? It'll, it'll have a little footnote in your Bible there that'll say other tra translations add fasting. That is supposed to be in this scripture. Right? That's... The reason they say that is some of them didn't have that. But that is legitimately, and if you look in context, it has to be here. So basically, he says, this can only come out by prayer and fasting. Now, what is he saying? What is prayer? Getting with God. It's not asking God stuff. It's getting with God and talking and communicating with God. What is fasting? Getting yourself into a place where you are humbled and submitted to God so that you can understand, spiritually hear, clean up all the junk going on in your world so that you can hear the Lord. Those are relational things. Those are not, um, those are not uh, uh, formula stuff. They're not praying a certain prayer or quoting a certain scripture. They're getting in the presence of God. And he's telling these guys that had already cast out demons and done all this stuff, the way that this works is that you get with God. And when you get with God, you pray, you fast, and you get with Him. When you're with Him, He will do the stuff that is Him. 
When you're trying to do the stuff that's Him, but you're not getting with Him, you fall short and it doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. And this is one of the things, I know this is not a popular way to say this in our American Christianity, but, but we're always hearing, we're always discussing, we're always hearing, well, why isn't God doing more miracles? Why isn't God um, healing more and doing all this other kind of stuff? Because we're asking Him to do stuff that's on a spiritual plane that we're not involving ourselves with. You say, well, no, I, I want healing. That's not what I'm saying. We can want healing all day long, but until we get in the arms of the healer, then we are asking for something from a distance instead of from the middle of involved in and getting into this mentality. Lord, I want you to be you. And, and the way that I do that is I get where you are. I get in with you. And then the stuff that is him happens. That, that, is, that is the, you can look at any time in history where God is doing major things and, and healing times and, 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 and um, uh, transformative spiritual kind of existence. And it was always fueled by prayer and people seeking God and stopping doing the sinning junk. And then God began to move. Why? Because they put themselves there instead of asking from a distance, asking the God of healing. Hey, God, can you heal us over here? You, you, you understand what I'm saying. Psalms 37, verse 23. The Lord directs the steps of the ungodly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. Once I was young and now I'm old. Yet I've never seen the godly abandoned or the children begging for bread. That's a, that's a powerful sentence. I've got a lot of years of experience to say, I know God will never leave you or forsake you. I know it. I know it. And I say that, and some of you, man, it resonates in your spirit so strongly. If we started going around the room right now and just giving examples of how you've seen that in your own life and other people's lives, we could literally spend a few days here doing that. But I've never seen God abandon his kids. Now, I can also say, in the same sentence, I have felt like God has abandoned me sometimes. But he hasn't. There's a difference between my flesh and the reality of who God is. The second thing with this, sin will hinder you from knowing and fulfilling God's will. I've already talked about this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So let me use the, the mental verbiage, the picture that he's using here to, ex, to explain, I think, what he's trying to say. Scripture says that, that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by God. So if I'm following God, my step will be ordered by God. This says sin will trip you up. So when you try to take that step, if you're being a righteous person, you take a step. If you're involving yourself in sin, you trip. You're not taking the step. Steps of a righteous person are ordered by God. If you're involving yourself in sin, you're not stepping, you're tripping. Came up with that myself. You, you get what I'm saying, though. See, this is where Christians can be deceived, is we think we can play around with sin and do all this kind of stuff, but I'm still tracking with God, God's tracking with everything. No! You're being tripped up. See, the very next sentence says, let us run with endurance the races God has set before us. If you, if you try to run, but you're tripping, you're not running, you're falling. 
But if you're, if you're walking in righteousness, you're stepping. And then the next step, and then the next step, and the next step. What Satan is going to try to do is trip you so you fall flat on your face instead of doing what God has asked you to do. And that's why you miss God's will. That's why we end up somewhere else down the road, because we've been taking our steps instead of God's steps. And sin is tripping us up. He says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Not keeping your eyes on what he has called you to, but keeping your eyes on him. The called you to will work out. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates our and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Verse 10, Hebrews 12. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. That ever described you? Tired hands, weak knees? Thought about that about halfway through a baseball game yesterday. Take a new grip. Why? Because you can do this. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how tired you get. Doesn't matter how discouraged you get. Doesn't matter how down. You can do this. Take a new grip. Grab on and let's do this. Why? Because God has set the standard for me. Jesus died on the cross and he gave himself. And for that, I will stand back up and I will keep going. Because he's called me. Make out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. And let me leave you with this, the last point. Don't stress. Enjoy the journey. This doesn't have to be difficult. 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You can actually enjoy this. You can enjoy the journey God has for you. It doesn't have to be difficult. It can be powerful and it can be positive. Finding his will doesn't have to be a stressing thing. It can be an enjoyable thing. This is the way I would look at it spiritually. Take a big old jacuzzi full of anointing oil. Warm that up and just get in that. Instead of, I need your will, I need to know you. No, just, just, just let the anointing of the Holy Spirit, just settle back into the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Spirit, let him be in charge, and God can do it. He will tell you. He will tell you what he wants you to do. All right, stand with me. Now, I know, again, many of you are praying about very specific things. You're, you're seeking God over very specific stuff. God, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? And I understand that. I'm not trying to make light of that or, or diminish it or anything. But rather than pray, God, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do this? My suggestion here is just sit back. And just pray. Just enjoy the presence of God. Lord, I know that you're God over here. I know that you're the ruler. I know that you're the king. I know. And just begin to, to let the Holy Spirit be there. Be in charge. Let him do it. And, and you'll be amazed at how quickly you can understand what he's trying to tell you. All right, God, cover us. Cover us with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, cover us with your blood right now. Holy Spirit, I ask, just, just like... Just like when prophet anointed David and took that oil and just poured it over his head. 
went down over his head, over his shoulders. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do that with every one of us in this room. Just pour your warm anointing into our minds and our spirits. Pour your anointing over us. And Lord, let the next step we take be the step you have for us. The next step we take is just going to be into your presence. Lord, teach every one of us in this room to, to pray that way, to think that way. Lord, just order my next step. Order my next step. In Jesus' name. And then, Lord, I know you're going to, you're going to show us this stuff. I know you are. Just let our next step be in you. In Jesus' name. Lord, let our next step be in forgiveness. Let our next step be in love, in your word and your power. In Jesus' name. to leave this with you. How do you do this? You're going to come up, this is going to come in your head this week. What about this? What about this? Lord, give me, give me the next step. The next step is in you. Just give me that step in you. And I think you'll be pretty surprised at how quickly God can show you what he's trying to show you. All right? So we have potluck awaiting us. That's, that was probably the most powerful thing I said all morning. That was... So, um... Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus. We are still studying Francis Chan book. Wednesday nights, it's great. Powerful. We will see you then. So let's, should I pray for potluck now? Should we do that so we don't have to worry and wait and all that kind of stuff? Jesus, thank you for food. Thank you for every hand that prepared it. And thank you for making it taste good. In Jesus' name, amen.